It is a culture takeover today. I am the one and only important host. My name is Mark. I am the more important host, Anna. And no one cares. Because <laughs> this episode is about me. I don't think you're going to like this one if it's about you. Okay, maybe it's not about me, but I have some <laughs> things to say. Okay, let's hear before it. Before we get started. Let's hear it. Now, we've been doing these, like, twofers lately, right? Part one, part two. Yeah, and the, this, this episode's going to be a twofer. The stories are getting a little bit more complex. And I can't help but notice that people, we have more listens to the first part of an episode yeah. than the second part of an episode. We got some attrition. And I don't know why that is, because you are leaving a book <laughs> unfinished. And for a type A personality like myself... <laughs> I need those numbers to match. Yeah. So all y'all out there that just are hitting the part one, please go back and listen to part two. Put some closure. Tie it up with a bow. <laughs> finish the story strong. Yes. We need uh, we need finishers, not quitters. That's right. And also, guys, we just want to say thank you. We hit our 1500th listen. Woo! Which means we're basically professional podcasters <laughs> at this point pretty much we should give podcasts about how to podcast we should so <laughs> thank you all for staying with us for listening anna ensures me that it's just going to get weirder and darker this one's bad today. and scarier well from here today's gonna ease you in next episode will scare you haunt your dreams so if you stuck with us this long <laughs> through sort of the uh disney channel version of cult so far it's true we're about to go HBO Max. We are. Let's go. So, today we are talking about two groups. The in the latter half of this episode, we will be covering the infamous People's Temple, also kind of colloquially known as Jonestown. Jamestown. Not Jamestown. Same people. Not the pilgrims. Same hats. Different hats. No ha hats? Are there hats? <laughs> I don't think there are hats. I will be doing a fashion update next episode. <laughs> okay. Oh, actually, the fashion's pretty good. I'm in. Okay. So we're going to be talking about Jonestown in the second half of this episode. But before that, we are going to start covering this episode with this group that influenced um, Jim Jones and the People's Temple. And this group is called the International Peace Mission Movement. Before we get started, when you hear the word Jim Jones, what do you think of? Jonestown? You do. Well, you don't I, remember the rapper, Jim Jones? Uh-uh. Bowling. No. <laughs> no he probably lie. named his named you himself after this. that. You don't remember that song? I know that song, but I didn't so know that's, that, Jim, that's Jones. Jim Jones. It's oh. the same guy. It is Just not. Kidding. Not the same guy. <laughs> but that's all I can think about. Okay. Well, yeah, keep that in your head. Okay. Back on track. So International Peace Mission Movement. I know you haven't heard of this, so I'm not even going to ask. Uh, no. So... Unlike most of the groups that we've talked about today, as of yet, this group was a predominantly um, black American group comprised of black Americans. Interesting. In the United States. In the U.S. Give yes. me a time frame. This is early 1900s. Okay. So this group, the International Peace Mission Movement, which I'm just going to call the Peace Mission, simplify it. This was founded and led by a wonderful gentleman named Father Divine. Not his birth name. Clearly not. He's got a lot of names, actually. He's, before he was known as Father Divine, he was known as Reverend Major Jealous Divine. It doesn't get any better. Also, 
He was worshipped as God, which we'll talk about that in a second. Also called Dean of the Universe. Also called Harnesser of Atomic Energy. I think that one's pretty dope. I feel like I'm going <laughs> to ask my wife to use these as pet names <laughs> from now on. Oh, Harnesser of Atomic Energy. I would like to be greeted that way when I walk in the door every day. That would be wonderful, I guess. Okay, so Father Divine, a.k.a. Harnesser of Atomic Energy, he was born, they think, George Baker in 1876. I mean, you think. They cannot find definitive details on his birth. Because he's divine. <laughs> Maybe. He's not of this earth. Yeah. So um, more likely it's because he was born to slave parents, 1876, um, freed slaves, and they just didn't have good records back then. Of course. So George Baker, 1876. He was raised in Savannah, Georgia during the post-Reconstruction period. Can, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the Reconstruction period, Mark, since you're a history teacher, kind of? I'm not. I'm a social science instructor, okay. and I teach the present. What would you like to know about the past? I just want to know the vibe of post-Reconstruction. Uh, it was not good, <laughs> C- clearly, as our country I, well, was okay, falling I apart. I know this. I want the listeners to know. Got it. So yeah. post Civil War, mm-hmm. country trying to put itself back together, right? trying to forget the awkwardness of what just happened, <laughs> right. and still dealing <laughs> with a lot of um, old school way of thinking, tradition, really turning the South on its, um, on its head in terms of what they grew up with, what they know to be true. A lot of this had to do with treatment of slaves, African Americans at the right. time, right. Um, African Americans trying to flee yeah. as much as possible. A lot of this will lead to like the Great Migration as a lot of them go up to Detroit and some of the Chicago, New York, wherever they could go to find work that was, you know, outside of what they've always done. Um, yeah. I mean, it was not a great time in America. Right. And so this was a really good time to be a pastor or a person who offers hope because lots of people were in bad situations, you know? And so um, Major Jealous Divine, a.k.a. Father Divine, he was immersed in the Pentecostal and holiness movements. So very kind of like charismatic movements of the time. I feel like it's a super easy way. I mean, all leaders that we see, like, really who gain followers are opportunists. For sure. Yeah. So... In 1919, he set up what he called his first heaven in Sayville, Long Island. Now, a heaven was basically a um, hotel that they would buy, and all their followers would work and live there. Like a little communal. Exactly. So their beliefs really were about racial integration. Um, They were really for racial integration. They also really kind of like bolstered up um, black individuals and their businesses because this is right around the Depression, right? The Great Depression. And so they would help sponsor black businesses and they would um, give out free meals to anybody. Um, So they were making moves in the early 1900s. And probably pretty well-liked, right? I mean, all of these are very positive things. Right. So um, 
generally, like I said, they wanted racial integration. They also really believed in the separation of the sexes. They were not to have sex in this group. Men and women live separately. At the hotel, though. Uh-huh. So just different rooms or Like different quarters. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And also believed in union of all races um, in a communion made of a multi-course feast. So 1919, he sets up this first heaven where this stuff is all happening. They're passing out food. They're living in this hotel thing. However, he gets in trouble with the law, um, and they relocate to Harlem. And at this time, the peace mission starts growing to other cities of the United States. And he called this, this method or this practice practical Christianity because they, like, gave food out. You know, they Very humanitarian-based, yes, right? Yes, exactly. Like, what would Jesus do? 100%. Um, he also urged followers not to smoke, drink, swear, gamble, or borrow money and to practice communal living. Everybody had to put all their money in the pot and it all was redistributed. So kind of like communist. Yeah. Not politically so much, but like in but practice. But also the idea that everybody's all in. Yeah. Like it's very clear how dedicated you are. Like, are you willing to give up everything? Right. So he, Father Divine, rejected racial identity. He said we shouldn't identify as black Americans or white Americans or this. We should just identify as Americans, which is kind of different from a lot of people at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and his first wife, who they called Mother Divine, she was a black woman named, I think that you say it, Penina? They call her Penny. We'll go with Penny. <laughs> yeah. Um, and later in the 1940s, she will die, and he will remarry a white woman whose original name was Edna Rose. She renamed herself Sweet Angel, and then she became the second Mother Divine. She basically said she was the first Mother Divine reincarnated. I'm going to fill the, fill the void. <laughs> yeah. She was real young, too. Well, she's an angel. <laughs> Sweet Angel. Okay, so now in the 1930s, Father Divine starts to claim that he himself is God. He is divine. How is he getting this with the scripture? Do they have their own like book and writings? No, or he's, he's just, just interpreting saying... it in a different way. And okay. So he said that Christ didn't have the power to fully free man. So he died and he returned as Father Divine. But honestly, I mean, that kind of makes sense. Like, I feel like that could make sense in the context of black America at this time. Like, slavery just ended. Yeah, looking for some help. Yeah. So, yeah. 1931, he goes to jail on a public nuisance charge. Now get this. The judge who sentenced him, he sentenced him to a year in, in prison for public nuisance. Four days after that, the judge dies. <laughs> and Father Divine goes, I didn't want to do it. Oh, I love that. Yeah. He's so happy inside. Weeks later, he was set free. He did not serve his sentence. Because the judge died? Yeah. The other guy was like, well, I guess we can just let him go. <laughs> I guess. Or they were scared? I guess. I don't know, but he was let out. That's so But the convenient. fact that he was like, I didn't want to do it. So convenient. <laughs> So the church's main goal was setting up these heavens around cities and offering free foods to just thousands of people. Um, there was 
estimates of the amount of followers throughout the country were between 500,000 and 2 million. Dang, this thing's picking up speed. Yeah. And this, because everybody remembers pooling their resources, he had access to about $1.5 million at that time. In the 30s. Yeah. The Great Depression. Yeah. Nobody has money. Yeah. Except for this cat. This dude had swag, too. Like, I'm going to show you a picture of him. He would wear, like, these really nice suits and... Um, oh, yeah. Looking like a five-star general. He would... This is him. He would buy luxury cars. He's Father Divine. He's you know? playing the part, for sure. Gods in a Rolls Royce is a book named after him. <laughs> oh, we got to get a copy of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was him. Now, um, after the end of the depression, the peace mission kind of started losing traction because people didn't really need them as much anymore. You know, we're entering into the time of prosperity pretty soon, right after the World War. War. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And civil, the civil rights movement is really gaining traction at this time, which you can't be like, oh, race doesn't exist. And then also like claim all of these things. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you got to pick one side. Right. Or and your argument doesn't His hold side water. was not favored. Yeah. So. Well, because clearly it does and they're seeing it playing out. Right, in, exactly. On American soil. But for them, for this group, like viewing people in terms of their race was like a sin. Yeah. So. Long story short, the the group starts dying out because, remember, they can't have sex. They all have to be celibate. So there's no babies being made in the peace mission. This leads to the destruction of the group eventually. And Father Divine dies in 1965 of natural causes. For the rest of the time, until 2017, his wife, Sweet Angel, Mother Divine, she ran it. It was very small, but she ran it. She just hung, hung tight. They're so websites too. Oh, <laughs> the the dedication these people have is fantastic. Yes, so that is the international peace mission movement, and this is going to be a big influencer on Jim Jones, the founder of the People's Temple, and we will cover that right after the break. Welcome back. Are you ready to talk about the People's Temple? I'm trying to figure out where this connection is going to come from. Oh, it's going to connect. Well, it's going right. to connect real good. Okay, so the founder of the People's Temple was a man named Jim Jones, not the guy who sang that not song. Not the rapper. <laughs> For those of you confused, not the rapper Jim right. Jones. And Jim Jones was born in 1931, and he died in 1978. Now, his father, James Thurman Jones, was a veteran of the Great War, and he was a victim of mustard gas, and for the rest of his life after the war, lived on disability. What I heard is a very intense experience. Yeah. The people who experienced mustard gas were never the same again. Yeah. So according to Jim Jones, his dad was like really emotionally distant. I mean, he's messed yeah. up. He's probably got PTSD um, and probably untreated, unfortunately, at that time. Um, his mother, Lynetta Jones, was a feisty, independent young woman. According to some sources, um, she was a lot younger than the dad, but because the dad was on disability, she had to work all the time, and so she really wasn't around. So he, Jim Jones didn't really have like a, 
a super loving, involved household. Kind of running himself. Yes. Now, Jim Jones came from Baptist and Quaker lineages. Oatmeal guy. (laughs) Yeah, the Quakers. So as Jones recalls of his own early life, he said he was a young hellion. Like, he just, like... Whatever he wanted. He was just doing whatever the hell. I mean, dad was not dadding. Yeah. And he always considered himself the underdog or fighting for the little guy. So he would, like, beat up the bullies or whatever. I don't know. I kind of think that this... I'll be real with you. A lot of this is coming from his own perspective. And I feel like he just painted himself as this, like, wonderful, you know, savior kind of, like, person from the beginning. Yeah. I mean, and you get to tell your own story. I bet you he sucked. Yeah, I like, can see it. <laughs> like, I bet he was really annoying to be around. So, like, for example, um, he went to, like, every church in town. He was, like, looking for some answers. And he would, like, get super into it, and then he would bounce to the next one. But apparently he's, like, been good at preaching since he was a kid. He would, like, practice this. Again, according to him. Weird. Yeah. But according to someone at his high school, he staged an elaborate funeral for the other school's basketball team. Oh, that is so good. Yeah. And he gave like a eulogy. (laughs) And apparently, like, everybody was like into it. Like, all right, that I'm super into. (laughs) I mean, that's that's really clever for sure. But um, apparently, he kind of like, got a taste of the preaching right you get a little bit of that a little bit of that that applause yeah a little bit of that, that attention, attention and all sure. of a sudden it's like a drug right so originally jim wanted to go into medicine so he started working at a hospital as an orderly and this is where he met his wife marceline baldwin uh she was a nursing student and they married in 1949 now in 1952 he's going to serve as a student pastor in a methodist church but four years after that, he's like, nah, dog, I want to be leader of my own church. I got bigger things. So in 1956, he founds the People's Temple. Now, this is how this relates. The People's Temple, as we will learn here in a minute, have a lot of elements that are taken from the peace mission, like was, racial integration. Was there anybody that was in both? Well, let me just tell you in a minute. You know, okay. I'm just excited. I'm so excited. (laughs) So Jones didn't like segregation in the churches. And remember, this is the 50s and the 60s. So that's... A lot of segregation going on. uh, Yeah. And he's in Indianapolis. So Mm. I'm sure it's not wonderful. Yeah. So he said that he really identified as an outsider, even though he's a white man. And so he really empathized with minorities, particularly black Americans. And um, so Jones and his wife, they, you know, they did put their money where their mouth was. They adopted a native child named Agnes. They adopted three Korean kids, Stephanie, Lou, and Suzanne. And in 1961, they were actually the first couple, first white couple to adopt a black child um, in like Indianapolis, uh, a boy named James Warren Jones Jr. And they also had a bio son uh, named Stephen Gandhi. 
and then they okay well we can't do that <laughs> cannot just gloss over his name is gandhi middle name middle name gandhi doesn't make it better stefan gandhi jones uh i hate a lot of things about that yeah yeah <laughs> then later they adopted a white child named tim from a mother in the temple group and they called themselves the Rainbow Family. That would not work in 2021. Heck no, bro. That's so like cringe. It's rough. It's like the woke left is. What not are you trying to do? You're like trying to collect one from every country. Right. <laughs> like not it's Pokemon not cards. good. Yeah, yeah. So he was the head of the Indianapolis Human Rights Commission. And he did some good stuff. He desegregated movie theaters there, restaurants, telephone company, hospitals, and the city police department. So that's pretty cool. Maybe he should have just stopped. He like right just there. Like been, yeah, he should have just been the humanitarian chill. guy. Yeah, it's not going to stay this way, unfortunately. Yeah, but we could just stop. We're not going to stop. And think that Jim's, you know, he's an okay guy. No, no. So the People's Temple, they ran a free restaurant and they ran a home for the elderly and the mentally ill. And according to them, like him and his wife, like people were not chill about this. They would threaten them because of Why? Their, because of their racial integration. Oh. Oh, I see what's going on. Yeah. Not the free stuff. <clears throat> no. Just that they were including everyone. Right. Yeah. They were very progressive for the time. And a lot well, of Well, they're their... the Rainbow family. <laughs> Can't have a name like that. So beliefs of the group. Now the beliefs of the group really, really focus on socialism but that kind of comes a little bit later at the beginning it's kind of like a traditional christian kind of belief but as time will progress that will definitely change and there is this he calls it apostolic socialism so he basically used the bible like specifically the book of acts in the new testament to say that we as humans need to live communally and we need to basically give up all of our worldly possessions to better the world. So he's going to take that message specifically mm -hmm. and say, guys, I'm just trying to do what we're supposed to do. Yeah. Right. And you base it on the Bible. So you get some legitimacy, especially in middle America. Well, and, and in addition to the racial integration part, because of that, you know, he attracted a lot of black Americans to his group because it was like, you know, he's preaching for equality, he's preaching for integration, and he's also using the Bible to justify it. All right, those are all wins. Right. So um, they really believe that we have to have social justice and that the kingdom of God is here. Like, we've got to do it here now. So he's about to go revolutionary. Yes, Call to action it's coming 100%. soon. Hundred percent. Um, they really wanted to create this utopianist ideal of no evil and no injustice. Um, so, like this is what Jones said: "My desire is to see a perfect utopia based on nonviolence, based on apostolic socialism, as it was on the day of Pentecost when they had all things in common." Um. He said, on the day of Pentecost, they all had things in common. You have to share. You have to think of your brother a bit or your sister above yourself. And he would frequently kind of refer to this as God socialism or divine socialism. But like Father Divine, he's going to conflate himself with mm. God. Mm. 
Does he ball out of control too? Money wise, not really. Okay. With substances, yes. Okay. He's gonna have his own vices. <laughs> yes. And he said we're the only Christians that there are really. Um, because they're the ones feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, and visiting the pr- prisoner. Um, other things they would do, they would like change traditional church hymn lyrics. So like they changed the words from like this song called Oh the Blood of Jesus, where it says, Oh the word of Jesus it cleanses white as snow to oh the word of Jesus black to glow. Um and he said, We're changing it because black isn't bad, darling. Black is beautiful, which is cute. I like that. But I just think he was exploiting black people is my my real problem with him. Yeah, I mean that's not I mean that's not what we're talking about in that song. Right. They also changed the song You Are So Beautiful to me. Nolan Alfalfa sings? <laughs> yeah. Little Rascals? Yes. All right. Yes, to Guyana is So Beautiful to Me, which is where this group will end up eventually. That's, that doesn't go. It also doesn't make any sense. No. Um, Jim Jones, the rapper, would never do that. <laughs> so... Um, Jim Jones, the not rapper. Maybe he was a rapper. <laughs> Who knows? He's not a very good one. Maybe he reincarnated. Um, he was kind of like charismatic. So he would do faith healings. Like, come up to the stage and let me put my hands upon you, you know? TBN type stuff. Yes. But before that, yeah. you know? And even ex-members, some people were like, nah, dude, it was real. Like, he had the power to heal people. Those are always weird, right? Yeah. I don't ever know what to think about those. But then other people were like, it was 100% fake. And some research has shown that, like, if you if they joined before, like, 66, they thought it was real. But the later followers were like, this is bogus. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe he lost his touch. Well, from what I heard, he was getting real sloppy with it, like, bringing in, like, fake chicken hearts and stuff oh, and, like, yeah. doing weird stuff. Now, they called him Father. They called him Father Jim. But this eventually got transitioned into calling him Dad. See, I was all down for Father Jim. That like yeah. had like a very normal ring to it. Yeah, based on which is actually my priest's name. <laughs> oh, shout out to the Father Jim. <laughs> yeah. When we have like these normal names, I'm like, okay. And then it's like, yeah, it's not going to last very long. Yeah. They always have to take it one step too far. Dad is too much. It's hard. Yeah. It's a tough sell. Don't like it. So the typical members of this church were African-American urban Christians. All over the country or really specifically in Indiana? No. So they actually migrate. They migrate from Indiana to Ukiah, California. And then they kind of start popping off in San Francisco. They get into the politics there. He, I think, even tried to run for mayor or something. So Jim's going with them. He's moving with them. Jim's leading them. Okay. So it's not like new... This isn't like a... He does establish kind of... Okay, so they're like different little spots. Satellite Got it. spots throughout California, though. Yeah. So there were 70 members who followed him to California. Um, and then later when they go to South America, which is where stuff's going to get real weird, um, those people were like white hippies. From... America and went? Yeah. Okay. So he's going to establish a pretty good base in California. Yeah. And then from there, they transition and go. Yes, because there's going to be a thousand people that 
Whoa. go to South America. At least that's who actually end up there. There were like hundreds, if not thousands more that had applied and like done all this stuff to also go, but hadn't got their passports and stuff together yet. So all of the members though are idealistic. They want this utopia. They want racial harmony. You know, they want a better world. How are they living? Communally. I mean, they just hang out all day and talk yeah. and no one works except for the work around the commune and oh well at guiana yeah they're like yeah. harvesting stuff okay. and um now get this a third of the members were under the age of 18 oh wow so he's going for youngsters also though a third were senior citizens oh well you just get yourself a little sandwich here yeah so i mean you literally have a third of each all right yeah that's pretty good demographics now during their first 10 years the numbers were at several hundred. Then they dropped to very little right before they moved to Ukiah. Like they almost closed down the temple. And he just needed to change the scenery. I guess. Or, or he's testing the loyalty. Yeah. In 1973, though, it was estimated that there were 7,500 members. In California. Yeah. So he finds a home in California. Yeah. A second wind. Now, now listen to this. We're going to back up a little bit. So 1956, they establish it, right? People's Temple. 1960, they get affiliated with the Disciples of Christ. Do you know that denomination? Have you ever heard of that denomination? No. Okay, well, it's a pretty, like, mainstream denomination, okay. Christian denomination. And he gets ordained. 1965, Jones starts getting a little funkalicious with his beliefs. He starts warning of a nuclear holocaust. This is the 60s? Mm-hmm. I mean, it kind of makes Cold sense. War. Cold War. For sure. Like, it legit could have happened. True. And it's a great time to be a cult leader. <laughs> yeah. Well, if the world's going to end. Exactly. Um, and so his members start becoming super active in Protestant circles and state politics, especially in San Francisco. They're, like, in it in so San Francisco. So they're getting, Francisco. like, legit official positions and stuff. Yeah, like, they were getting, like, mentioned by, like like congressmen and stuff like oh jim jones has done this wonderful thing and blah 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 get some legitimacy yeah now in 1971 this is where it ties into our peace mission he goes and visits him he takes a bus of people with him to the peace mission in pennsylvania in philadelphia okay and he tries to take over he goes to a meeting and goes this is what he says father divine has conferred his mantle on me we are from the same celestial plane and our messengers. His spirit has come to rest in my body. Like, he just stands up and says this. Dude, and sweet angel's like, nah, fam. Sweet angel's like, get the F out of here now. <laughs> Literally, she, she was like, get out. Um, but he was like kind of persistent, kind of a dick, to be honest. <laughs> he would send buses to them to like take members away. Oh, so he's getting like... Starting to get a little... Petty. Yeah. Yeah. Starting to mobilize a little bit here. Yes. So he was trying to steal those followers because, I mean, it kind of makes sense. They're, like, with the same vibe. Right. So the branches grow in San Francisco and L.A. An ag settlement was founded in 1974, and he invites members to live communally. Now... This is when stuff starts kind of going wrong for them, and they are going to decide to move away. 
because the, ch- the church, the temple, starts getting accused in the press of financial fraud and physical abuse of children and adults. It's a hard one to shake when the press gets involved. Right. So they're like, we out of here. Yeah. We're going to South America. So in 1977, they go to Guyana to a settlement that they rent. Now, can you tell us a little bit about Guyana before we finish this? I can tell you a little bit about a little place. Okay. Because Guyana is not very big. Yeah. And most people are living in a very small area of Guyana. So if you look at a map, it looks like it has some size to it. Most people are living within a couple miles of the shore. Oh, wow. It's something like 90% live within like 50 miles of the shoreline. Oh, wow. Because everything else is, is dense jungle. Well, so they lived in the jungle. Yeah. You, you don't go. It's literally the rainforest. Like you're, you, you're surrounded Venezuela, Brazil, and it's uninhabitable. Right. And there are occasions in Guyana where the roads and stuff just like stop. <laughs> like it just like, no, like you're done. <laughs> and there has been, I mean, historically there's been tension between Venezuela and Guyana and you actually can't cross the border. Oh, you have really? to go down through Brazil and go in the other way. That's crazy. Yeah. Partly petty. Yeah. Partly like we're going to battle a little bit. But Guyana's an interesting place. Um, former British colony. Yeah. Um, Which huge, is why they chose it, because they spoke English. Yeah. Huge. Um, if you go there, it's very interesting because you're going to find a lot of um, Indian people there. Yeah. Um, and a lot oh, of that had of the to British do colony. is British colony. And they also, when Brit, when the British ended slavery, mm-hmm. the people in Guyana were like, mm, we still need that. Or we still need at least like some form of cheap labor. Oh, oh you know who just got access and who we could probably get over here? And so they went to this, one of the northern states in India, and they took a bunch of people and they had them go work they over there. They just kidnapped them? I don't think they kidnapped him. It wasn't slavery, but it was pretty close. Oh, like gee, like tied, indentured servitude. Yeah, very much like that. Wow. And Guyana really relates a lot more to the Caribbean. They would say they're actually part of the Caribbean. Oh, interesting. Instead of being from South America. Oh. But, I mean, clearly they're part of South wow, America. Wow, you're teaching me something today. Well, that's, uh, that's a little <laughs> tidbit for you. Yeah, so they rented 3,800 acres in the middle of the jungle there, and they basically used slash and burn to start setting up camp. It's so dense, like it's not a place that you should live. Well, yeah, it took them three years to yeah, I mean, like, it doesn't make get any, it together. doesn't make any sense unless right. you're trying to get off the beaten path and you're trying to do your own thing. Well, they want to be isolated. Yeah, that works. Because then they can do whatever the hell they want. Nobody's going to put them in the press. It's fair. And Jones can control the information that is coming and going, right? You're in the middle of the jungle. You have to take a 24-hour boat ride on the ocean at this time and then 12 hours up river and then six miles on a dirt road. So that is where Jonestown will be established in Guyana. And next episode, we will cover the events that will unfold in 1977 and 1978 in Jonestown. I'm so excited. It's going to be... It's going to be a lot. So prepare yourself. It's going to take me a week, but I'm going to get ready. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. See you guys. Later. Later.